Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. Today's episode features the music of The Plainsman, made in 1966. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Hello again, and it's so great to have you back. In the words of Carol Burnett, I am so glad we have this time together. Our last episode dealt with the comedy How to Steal a Million and how John Williams felt it was a major step forward in his career with him now serving as producer of all the music he writes and records. The John Williams music train kept rolling one month after that movie was released in theaters with a film whose impact was not as strong. The Plainsman was another Western distributed by Universal Studios, and it was released just six months after their flop, The Rare Breed. As I have mentioned often on this podcast, John Williams was ending his contract with Review Studios, the TV arm of Universal Pictures. It's likely that the contract included a certain number of films that Williams was required to score, and so he took on the job of working on The Plainsman. On the surface, perhaps this movie should have spelled success. It was a remake of a well-received 1936 film starring Gary Cooper, who would go on to redefine the leading man in westerns with High Noon in 1952. But with no famous stars lined up for The Plainsman, selling the movie had to be tough. Nonetheless, I think John Williams attacked his duties on the film with vigor, but ultimately, it's a score that was tough to remember the day after I watched it. While it's true that not every Williams score is as popular or as impactful as Jaws or Star Wars, I wouldn't go so far as to call the score to The Plainsman a hidden gem. The film's plot and editing don't create any major musical moments until close to the halfway mark, and nothing of substance until close to an hour into the film. Most of what we hear for the first 20 minutes, besides the music in the opening titles, is transition music that lasts maybe 20 seconds at a time. Let's talk about this plot for The Plainsman before we begin our analysis of the music. And as always, spoilers are coming. The film puts three major historical characters of the Wild West, Wild Bill Hickok, Buffalo Bill Cody, and Calamity Jane, into the same film. It's historically accurate that all three knew each other, but there's no indication that all three participated in the events that this film portrays, which is essentially a battle with an Indian tribe. In any case, the first 30 minutes of the movie do nothing more than set up the characters and have almost nothing to do with the main plot. The film opens with a civil war battle, our only indication of what time period we're dealing with in this film. John Williams scores this with the typical snare drum and trumpets, before slowing things down a bit as he prepares us for the main title music. You'll know when that music begins because it's accompanied by a chorus.
it's odd that there wasn't a song written for this opening. After listening to it, didn't you find the melody to be quite lyrical? It doesn't help matters that the chorus is singing ba 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 for a minute or so. Since the chorus was already there, why not have them sing a theme song? I have no idea what the lyrics would be for this song, but I was waiting for the chorus to actually start singing at some point. After the silliness of the title song in John Goldfarb, Please Come Home, I suppose it was a good idea to not have a song in this movie. It probably would not have made things better. Our opening titles follow Wild Bill Hickok after he is discharged from duty as a Union soldier in the Civil War. He's wandering the plains, hence the title, I guess, and while he's cleaning up at a river, he notices a tribe of Indians ready to attack him. The Indians capture him and are prepared to kill him when they are stopped by the chief. Bill's life is spared because he knows the chief, but the second-in-command is out for white man blood, and we'll see that conflict come to a head in about 40 minutes of film time. Bill spots a stagecoach in the distance and tries to hitch a ride. When he approaches it, he notices that the driver is Calamity Jane. He's not happy. The two used to date before he went off to war, and now Bill has to depend on her for a ride to town.
Once Bill accepts the ride, Williams gives us a rendition of the main theme very briefly as the coach continues its trip. There's a subplot involving an Englishman in town to write a story about the Wild West, and he latches on to Wild Bill as one of his subjects. While at a local bath, Bill takes the Englishman's clothes and heads to the saloon to play a game of cards. The Englishman storms into the saloon wearing Bill's dirty soldier's uniform, and Williams composes a silly march for the Englishman's entrance. There is no conclusion to the Englishman's story. He isn't seen again after the 28-minute mark, so let's just move right along. One of the short musical cues in the early part of the film takes place after the card game when Wild Bill confronts a man who is cheating. Bill turns over the table and points a gun at the cheater. Notice how the music is played on low strings. It isn't much, but it packs a bit of a punch. Not your ears for you. A man like you ought to be marked. We'll return to this music later when we see the cheater again. So let's call that music a motif that plays for this cheater who we later find out is selling rifles to the nearby Indian tribe. The movie takes a sharp turn after the English writer meets Calamity Jane. He takes a stiff swig of alcohol, accompanied by some comedic music. Then the main theme returns as Wild Bill arrives at Buffalo Bill's cottage outside of town. So now we're getting into the main plot. So the comedy elements of the film pretty much disappear. This reminds me of Because They're Young, John Williams' third film. In that movie, the real plot didn't get going until the second half of the movie, and that's when Williams got the opportunity to compose music of any heft. That's true in The Plainsman as well. 
There is news that the local Indian tribe attacked a town and the army is preparing to send supplies to that town and investigate further. The Indians believe that the army, led by Buffalo Bill serving as their guide, is coming to seek revenge. So, to counter that threat, a few of the Cherokee break into Buffalo Bill's house when he's away with the goal of kidnapping his wife. But Calamity Jane is at the house and she notices an Indian peeking through a window. She tells Bill's wife to run to town, which she does, leaving Calamity Jane to deal with the Cherokee. Louisa! Don't move. Just stand right where you are. I don't think they can see you from there. Indians? I'm going to try and get them all inside the cabin. When I do, I want you to light up for town just as fast as you can. Move. Jane, who is apparently not as tough as she appeared to be at the start of the film, is kidnapped by the Indians and forced to walk behind a horse with her hands tied. A couple of times, she falls to the ground. Wild Bill Hickok comes to her rescue, but he ends up being tied up and forced to hang over a fire because he won't spill details on the Army's location. At this moment, Jane confesses that she still loves Bill, but he won't have any of it. Burn! You hear me? I'm gonna live forever just on hating you! Good. Don't forget it. Oh. Oh. 
This scene sort of, sort of, reminds me of what we'll see 14 years later in The Empire Strikes Back during the famous I love you, I know scene when Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. There are some sparks of musical genius in that cue, but it is not as emotionally charged as what he will do with The Empire Strikes Back. The Cherokee chief is at odds with his second-in-command and manages to keep Bill alive. The next day, we see Buffalo Bill and the Army soldiers on their way with their supplies through a treacherous canyon. Somehow, the Cherokee have found them and are ready to attack. This is the single standout scene musically for Williams, and he does good work here. Let's take a listen to it and discuss its components afterward. Snowden's Canyon, less than halfway there. Close that up! Those are my men, Cody. They're mine until we get to Fort Loomis. I'm the senior officer, you're a civilian, you'll transmit orders through me. First off, I love the rendition of the main theme before the music goes dark when we see the Indian scout watching the army caravan in the canyon. The muted trumpets and that hit on the gong were so cool. Now, we're getting ready for battle and the dissonance in the orchestra is a nice touch as the army scrambles for a safe place. Now, this next part instantly reminded me of the moment in Return of the Jedi when Luke is about to be dropped into the pit of Carcoon on Tatooine. The hits on the brass that you are about to hear are identical to what we hear in the scene in Return of the Jedi, even going so far as to play each hit on an editing cut.
Then the music picks up speed as the Cherokee's horses go from a slow walk to an all-out gallop. I was happy that the music stopped at the first shots. It would have been too much to have music in this scene filled with gunshots and screams. As I mentioned in the Daddy-O episode, the composer and director watched the movie without music and discussed where to put music, including where it begins and ends each time. This was a good decision by John Williams and director David Rich to stop the music at the actual start of the battle. Once again, the Cherokee chief steps in to prevent any further bloodshed. The battle ends in a draw, although the two Bills are in danger of being court-martialed for disobeying an order from the Army Lieutenant. In any case, Wild Bill is anxious to know who has been supplying the Cherokee tribe with guns, and he goes back to the town to find out. He goes to a warehouse to confront the dealer, who happens to be the man Bill caught cheating at cards, and we'll hear that low rumbling motif on the strings again. Carrying one of our rifles. If he knows we're selling them, we're gonna have to kill him. Let him in. What can I do for you? The dealer is either knocked unconscious or killed by a falling barrel. We're not really sure. And another man appears and shoots Bill before trying to escape. Bill isn't killed and he chases after the man and manages to keep him from escaping. So, Bill doesn't die, and all is well in the end, I suppose. The two Bills end up taking jobs they didn't want in order to avoid going to jail. And as they ride with Jane to take a loot of gold to another town, the three share a laugh over God knows what, 
and ride off into the sunset. It's sad that Williams didn't get much opportunity to write a lot of music for the Plainsman. Perhaps it was one of the reasons why he took the job, though. With five films being released in one year, and with two of them coming out in almost the same month, it's possible he only had time to write about 30 minutes of music, a task that would have taken about a month just for composition. The score had some decent moments, but not enough to make this recommended viewing, even for those who, like me, want to see every movie and hear every note of music John Williams has created. After writing music for two westerns in one year, John Williams will take a hiatus from that genre, not returning to it for six years. Instead, he'll go back to comedies, which were suiting him very well for his next four films. Up next is a film with Natalie Wood in the vein of How to Steal a Million. Join me on the next episode as we learn more about the film Penelope. Until then, if you want to voice your comment about the show or offer some fascinating tidbit about John Williams' life that I didn't mention, please post a comment on the Podbean app or send me an email at jeffswim at aol.com. I'm always grateful to you for listening, and I look forward to the next episode. Until then, the baton is down. <laughs>